Good morning, Granville. My name is Petra Anderson, and I have the privilege to talk um, again about rediscovering the good news of Jesus, our series. But today we will focus on evangel and evangelism, good news, and sharing this good news. Over the last three weeks, we have heard Sam talk about where the power of the gospel lies, the sweet spot, as he called it. And it is not that Jesus is savior, although he certainly is, but the sweet spot, the center of the gospel message is that he is king, Messiah, the anointed one, ruler of the universe with supreme power and authority. He is a king who brings the kingdom of God near, a king who wants us to put the kingdom of God first, a king who himself draws near and engages the brokenness of this world, entering into its suffering. He's a king who is establishing the kingdom of God on earth, with his followers participating in that kingdom, restoration as they look to him as their ultimate guide. And not only look to him, for what he can do for them, but look to them in all they do and how they live by his power and not their own. A king who was willing to die for all and through his resurrection overcame the power of death. And finally, of course, a king who deeply loves us who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, but he invites us into his kingdom work. So the power of the gospel lies in the power of Jesus Messiah, Jesus the King. So evangelism then, sharing the good news with others, needs to somehow also put Jesus Messiah in the kingdom of God at its center and see his saving power as rooted in his kingship. Of course it is good news uh, for us and worth sharing that Jesus through his death on the cross made forgiveness of sin possible. But more importantly, we need to share where the power to save comes from. His anointing as king, as king over everything. And that this king is not just into saving individuals, but bringing shalom, wholeness, health, and well-being into this broken world as a whole now. It is about restoring communities and individuals, organizations, systems, and even all of creation, a work in progress. And we need to be aware that we ourselves are works in progress, even after we acknowledge Jesus as our savior. We need a king to lead us through life so that people can see that Jesus does not just change our status from unsaved to saved, but rather changes our lives so that hope and courage is our whole life's message. In the face of evil, hope in the face of darkness, because of not just a spoken message, but a lived out message under Jesus the King.
However, good news lived out is not what a lot of people see when looking at the church, Jesus' followers. So the question for today is what difference does it make to have the kingdom of God with Jesus, the resurrected king, at the center of our message, rather than just God's salvation plan? As I'm engaging this question today, I will be touching on three points that highlight the difference the good news with Jesus the Messiah at the center could make as we share the gospel, not only in words, but with our lives. First, we will see ourselves as part of a bigger, ongoing kingdom of God story. With Jesus as the perfect king, all-powerful, all-suffering, ultimate and intimate. A plan A story from the beginning. Not just a salvation story or God's rescue plan, with Jesus as savior, savior as we, well, after we botched things up, which sounds like God's plan B, after things did not work out as God planned because of us. But the kingdom of God's story takes us out of the center of the story and puts Jesus at the center. The kingdom of God is being established even if we cannot see it at times or understand why certain things happen the way they do. But we are invited to trust that the king knows. The king who has revealed himself to us and is with us as the kingdom of God unfolds. As the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light pushes into the kingdom of darkness. So when we put Jesus Messiah at the center of the gospel message, we become first of all disciples, followers of the living King Jesus, inviting more disciples to follow him. Our message is come and see. Do we feel confident to invite people to come and see the king and who he is at work in our community, in our lives, as they join us to participate in his kingdom of God's story, a story he lived and still lives out with absolute integrity. So when they come and see, do they get a sense of Jesus alive, the resurrected king guiding us through his Holy Spirit, wants to look to him in all we do, staying under his authority, a gracious, loving, sacrificial authority different from any other authority we might experience in this world. As we say, come and see, will people experience Jesus by being with people who have surrendered to Jesus their King, first of all, living every day in his presence, turning to him in everything they do, not just enjoying the fact that he took care of our sins after we made the decision for him as Savior. Do people see a mind and heart posture of surrender to a good king, a servant king, 
who we trust to free us from all other kings that might vie for power over our lives as we turn back to him again and again. A lifelong journey as followers of him in his kingdom. And so finally, God's kingdom work majors on transformation, which includes salvation. But it is not just about salvation, our decision to believe in Jesus as Savior, but first of all, about his decision, the king's decision, to want to transform, restore, redeem, and repair the whole world, which includes us, but also all of creation. So when as followers of this king, we participate in that wholesome process, our eyes become kingdom eyes, not just salvation eyes. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Jesus the king has been part of that kingdom story before the beginning of time, and when time as we know it will come to an end, he still is king. When we put King Jesus and God's kingdom at the center of the good news, we are not making it all about us and our salvation, but first of all, about him, the rightful king. It is not just about my salvation, but the restoration, redemption of the whole world. It's not just about me or you getting uh, into God, get, getting into heaven, but about heaven coming to earth by Jesus establishing God's kingdom here now. So evangelism then is about sharing with others what difference it makes in my life, in our lives, and, and then through our lives in this world. When I acknowledge Jesus as king, my ultimate guide and authority, a king who helps me seek the kingdom of God, seek and see it, the kingdom of shalom, well-being, wholeness. Look at who he is first, the resurrected king, alive and at work today. And what he did on the cross for us is only part of that story, a reflection of the kind of king he is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So it's not a surprise that in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, seek first salvation. No, he doesn't say that. He says, seek first his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. All we need will be given because no, God knows, Jesus knows what we need physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now what I think might have happened over time is that reducing the good news to, of Jesus to Savior is actually the more comfortable part of the good news. Still challenging for many, no doubt, because we have to recognize our brokenness and sinfulness, but still more comfortable than accepting Jesus as ruler overall, our ultimate authority, every part of our life surrendered to him. At the end of his time on this earth, however, Jesus gives his disciples this charge, and we all have heard it many times. Jesus said, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So what does Jesus speak about? He speaks about his authority in heaven and on earth. And then, in this authority, he charges his disciples to go out and make disciples of all nations. It is not just about getting people to see that they need a savior, but rather to be obedient to the rightful king, which means listen to him, the one with authority. And the Latin word for obey is actually obedire, listen to or towards. And when we look for a word in Hebrew for obey, there is no word for Hebrew to, uh, to obey, but it is listen, shema. And so finally, at, in this passage, there is then the promise that also this king then, that we want to listen to, that we want to follow, that we want to obey, that he is with us, always. He was, he is, and he always will be. And that as um, we, as his disciples, invite others to follow him, it is about listening to him listening to his word. Jesus himself is not talking about salvation first, but listening to his teaching as it is passed on by his followers in making more disciples who listen because of who he is. What the kingdom, the kingdom of God is like. Not what he can do first of all. Are we people who intently listen to the king in all we do? Are we bringing our life under his authority so when people come and see, they actually see a reflection of Jesus? Isn't that what we want here at Granville? We just said this at the beginning. We want to be a reflection of Jesus. Or we have to look to the king who guides us so that we can reflect him. And so do people, when they see us here as a community in our, our individual lives, do they see his presence with us? Now, overall, where are we at in the church, and specifically in the Western and North American church when it comes to evangelism, of sharing the gospel? Not just by knowing to say the right words about the Savior, but to live a surrendered life to the King. What do people actually see when they look at the church and Jesus' followers in it? You probably all have heard this, uh, the parental expression, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> hmm, is that what people see? That we talk about forgiveness, but hold a grudge? That we talk about loving all, but exclude? that we talk about giving all to Jesus, but fear we might not have enough. 
We talk about unity in Christ, but fight with each other about all kinds of things. What happened to followers of Jesus, Messiah, working together in God's kingdom under King Jesus? So let's look at a somewhat sobering picture. Barna Group research in North America shows that many people see Christians as, well, committed, loving, passionate, compassionate, aware of our own need for transformation, open, honest, people of integrity. Because that's what it would look like to be a fraction of, of the king, right? Well, you already saw it. That's not what they see. They see us as hypocritical, too political, too focused on getting converts, anti-homosexual, sheltered, judgmental. And I want to argue this. It's like, how can they see this? But from my own experience, that is what people often see. I hear someone in my extended family saying that when they have gone to church, all they felt was that they were seen as this lost person rather than an eagerly seeking person, excluded rather than included. And I remember a lady hesitating to join a mom's group, although having been invited many times by one of the Christian moms in the group, why didn't she want to come? Out of fear of judgment, because she was unmarried and had a child out of wedlock. And just to complete this sobering picture, people are leaving their Christian faith as they can't see the good news anymore. Again, Barna Group research describes people's, and especially young people's, experience growing up in the church. They say people are overprotective, shallow, anti-science, repressive, exclusive, leaving no room for questioning and doubt. And reasons for leaving? Not finding authentic relationships, not finding wisdom in dealing with doubts and complexities, not finding a holistic vocation where what we do outside of Sunday morning really integrates with what we're experiencing on Sunday morning. At our so-called um, um, not ministry work outside of the church, somehow it doesn't come together with what we do in the church. Now, this group has, to, has, has become uh, known as the Duns. I'm done with church. And the first group that we were talking about those are the nuns. I won't want anything to do with any of church. Because if Jesus really died for our sins, why is sin rampant in churches? A question both nuns and duns are asking. How did it come to that reputation? What happened to Jesus' good news of God's kingdom near? Good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the blind, release of the oppressed. What happened to Jesus' good news of love and grace in the broken world, healing and restoring the kingdom of God as it was in Eden and will be again in the New Jerusalem in its perfect form? 
what happened to what people saw when they looked at Jesus as he invited them to come and see. He certainly did not live a sheltered life, but came to be part of a very broken world and allow himself to suffer with and for people. The striking pictures of that could be seen in a church in Bethlehem over this last Christmas, in the middle of a war raging, as they created a nativity scene with Jesus lying in the rubble. Because to them, that's where Jesus would have been if he had been born into the world today, in the war zone where they were finding themselves. And it rings true. And when people really see that this is the kind of king that would come to be, to suffer with us, is still coming to be and suffer with us, that gives hope. We are not alone. The kingdom of God is moving into the darkness. Also, Jesus engaged questions and doubts during his ministry, especially engaged uh, with uh, Thomas as the best-known doubter, engaged with Nicodemus and his questions. Doubt was not a threat to him. And as his followers, it should not be a threat to us. Authentic relationships, certainly something that characterized Jesus, whether it was with the 12 or others that he spent time with, eating, teaching, healing, praying, but also walking, fishing, mourning, and celebrating. And Jesus was very inclusive, shockingly so, in the view of the established religious leaders when dining with prostitutes and tax collectors, as well as embracing lepers. The king of the universe who had come down to be with us that's what he was like. And finally, he spoke with authority and power, something that people were missing in their leaders as they sensed hypocrisy and political power hunger, personal agendas overriding deeper spirituality. People sensed Jesus was different, and the powers to be were threatened. It was his authority, the authority of the Messiah, that threatened the powers to be. But others, without power, recognized him as the new king that could bring justice, healing, shalom. A new king that truly could save, not a savior disconnected from kingship. During Sunday school um, in a Baptist church in the 90s, I noticed that one of the youth who had been recently baptized was hanging around in the hallway and not joining his class. He had always been so eager to learn about Jesus, to ask him, he was great at asking wonderful questions, to wrestle, and out of that had decided to go to baptismal class and uh, get baptized affirming Jesus as his savior. But there he was, reluctant to join the class, to keep engaging with the scriptures and the person of Jesus. So I went to him and asked what was the matter. 
And with great sadness and despair in his eyes, he said, I don't think I am a Christian. I'm not saved. What happened? I asked. He had gotten into a fight with his dad that morning, a dad that, by the way, he had a great relationship with most of the time. And now he felt ugly, sinful, stating nothing changed when I got baptized. I'm not a new creation. He had embraced Jesus as a savior, but he was sinning again so soon after his baptism. And here we can see that starting the good news, putting at the center of the good news, Jesus as the one who saves us from our sins can be quite confusing, and it was for this youth. He needed a king. He has a king who was willing to die for him, but a king he could turn then to for guidance for forgiveness, for power to change, for perfect role model to follow, for hope in a broken world, for an authority that still would say, I love you. <laughs> However, in a lot of North American churches, and churches all over the world, the good news has become God's salvation plan rather than, first of all, the good news of God's kingdom having drawn near with Jesus as King and Lord, the one who is making all things new and putting broken things back together. And yes, he died for our sins and now invites us to join him in the restoration of the kingdom of God with, leading, with him leading us. Restoration of the kingdom of God as in restoring our relationship with God, ourselves, each other, and creation. Salvation happens as we turn to Jesus, our King and Lord. So repentance is about turning away from other kings and to Jesus as the King who brings God's kingdom near, not just about repenting from our sins. The repenting from our sins comes out of making Jesus our Lord and King. What this youth was experiencing was actually not that he was not a Christian because he had sinned, but being convicted now by the Spirit and needing a King to turn to who did the work needed for him to now participate in God's kingdom and so go to his dad, ask for forgiveness, reconnect, participate in Jesus' redemptive work. We read earlier in Mark, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Notice in Jesus' own words, the good news is not just that a savior arrived for us now 2,000 years ago, but that with him, the kingdom of God has come near. So we can then understand that the good news the shepherds heard when the angels announced that a savior had been born, for them it was a new king had been born who invited them, the outcast of society, to his birth. Indeed, a life-changing event even before Jesus died on the cross that came after. Some of you might remember a couple of months ago when I was speaking on the ancient word of Shalom. 
when I painted a bigger overarching picture of shalom in the Garden of Eden and the shalom in the New Jerusalem. And this same art overarching picture is true when we look at the kingdom of God near. It's a bigger picture that God established in the, uh, the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden. And then he invited Adam and Eve to represent him as rulers over all creation. Rulers over all creation on his behalf. And these first rulers made in God's image, <clears throat> being icons of God, reflections of God, failed, however, by rather than representing God in this world, wanting to elevate themselves to be God, usurp God's kingdom, and shame and death were introduced, neither of which had been part of God's kingdom at the beginning, but which God knew would happen when he introduced the kingdom of God to humankind. And still, he decided to make humankind part of his kingdom story. Then in spite of God's invitation to repent and return to ruling under his kingship again and again, many earthly kings later in the history of Israel, some better, some worse, and then a total lack of kings during exile, finally, Jesus enters history the Son of God taking on human flesh to do what Adam and all the kings in his line after failed to do, the king who can truly bring the kingdom of God near. In 1 Corinthians we read, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Jesus is the perfect ruler of the kingdom of God the Father, the perfect reflection of God the Father, ruling under God the Father, perfect representation of God. And Jesus is very aware of what his posture as king has to be. In John 5.19 we read, Jesus gave them, the Jewish leaders, this answer, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. The perfect image of God to rule God's kingdom, unlike Adam and Eve when tempted by Satan to eat the fruit, Jesus turns to the Father, always turns to scripture, always turns to prayer. I wonder what would have happened if Adam had stopped for a moment and said to Eve, Let's go to God and talk about this first. And then in, uh, on the day of Pentecost, we read uh, Peter, as he says in his sermon uh, to the people there. Dear friends, let me completely be completely frank with you. Our ancestor David is dead and buried. His tomb is in plain sight today but being also a prophet and knowing that God had solemnly sworn that a descendant of his would rule his kingdom, seeing far ahead, he talked 
of the resurrection of the Messiah. David prophesied the resurrection of the Messiah, the king alive for all eternity. And then as, as Peter goes on, he emphasizes this Jesus God raised up. And we are all witnesses. We've all been witnesses to that. It's true. And finally, Peter stresses, God made him, Jesus, master and Messiah, master and king, Lord. So yes, Jesus the king died for our sins so that we again could become legitimate children of God and together enjoy the kingdom of God as it was meant to be in Eden and as it will, <coughs> will be in its perfect form in New Jerusalem. That is good news. But what is the good news for us now as we are living between paradise and New Jerusalem in a still desperately broken world? For many Christians, it's just that through Jesus we have forgiveness of sins and will get into heaven. But that leaves out what it means that we are legitimate children of God joining the King, Jesus, in his work of restoring the kingdom of God now. And his invitation for as many as possible to change their hearts and turn to him for, for that restoration. The good news is ongoing discipleship, ongoing relationship with Jesus, our King, and being transformed. It is not just a transaction that happened on the cross, and if I believe in that, I'm saved, but it is about the transformational process that happens when we follow Jesus as our ultimate King. A process that happens in us as it is happening around us, if we have eyes to see. So being a Christian is not first of all about being saved, so our eyes are not just set on salvation and getting into heaven, but as we look to Jesus the King who saves, we develop kingdom eyes. See where Jesus the King invites us. See where Jesus the King works in our lives as well as in the lives of others. And finally, Paul in the letter to Colossians sums it up this way. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything, God started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does the body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he is there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken, 
and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Are you looking to Jesus, the King, and as you invite people into your life and say, come and see, do they see someone radically committed to the King and his kingdom work, or someone who sits quite comfortably on their salvation? Or someone who goes out and tries to do kingdom work for Jesus, but not under his authority? How can we ma major on being disciples? Always turning to him, always turning to his word, always turning to prayer, always listening, like the king did to the father when he walked the earth. And do we regularly release to Jesus the burdens of this world that we cannot carry, but the king can? Are we trusting him and welcoming the opportunities that he gives us every day to participate in the redemption of this world? Do we look at this world as dark and broken and desperately needy? Yes, but we also need to see this world as a world where the kingdom of God is near and give thanks for glimpses even sometimes only that we can get. The other day I, I was uh, with some people and, um, and they were sharing about how they felt about where they were at and someone said, I'm really struggling these wars, Gaza, Ukraine, and all over the world, they really get to me. Where is the restoration that, that we want? Where is Jesus at work? And then we went to reflect on our feelings that we had and our, our um, sense of where the world was at, where our lives were at, and after this reflection, this person came back and said, I don't know, but I look out the window and there is this white woman with a little child on her back trying to cross the street and, and a black man comes along, racing along with his bike, but he stops and here they are. He says, you go. No, you go. No, no, I really want you to go. God is at work. He does put a changed heart into, our, into, into us. But we need to look to him and see the glimpses that he gives us. And sometimes it's more than a glimpse. Sometimes it's major sense of reconciliation. So what difference does it make to have the kingdom of God with Jesus as the resurrected king at the center rather than just God's salvation plan? People will have hope 
because the eternal Christ, the eternal King, holds all things together. We don't have to. People will be able to face darkness in themselves and others and the world. First of all, knowing that they're not alone, but the King, King Jesus, is with them. And the kingdom of God is near. And what we're experiencing is the darkness that, that, that it exposes. So we shouldn't be surprised to see darkness around us. So rest- restoration and redemption are possible because of who Jesus is. And yes, the power of death has been broken because he is the rightful king. That is the good news we want to share. And people will see the difference when his people surrender to him as king and go to him in all they do, for all they need. And the world will change. The kingdom of God will move forward. Let me pray, and then also, out of that prayer, or while I'm praying even, I invite um, the prayer team to come forward and be here available for people to pray, or to reflect, or to uh, respond to what it really means, that the good news is that Jesus is king, and that that gives him the power to save, and what it might look like for us to surrender. Jesus, King over all, sustainer of the universe, sustainer of everything in it, every bigger and every smaller thing. You are our sustainer and we look to you as you Help us to face the darkness in ourselves, in people around us. But we do not need to be afraid because you are with us. You are leading us towards a redemption that is happening because your kingdom is near. Give us eyes to see. Give us lives where people can see your kingdom come. Your will be done to redeem this world. Amen. Amen.